Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, Chad. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Good to be together as a church family. Good to hear, Daryl, all of, or some of what God has been doing uh, in your life. For those of you, whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. And the round reminds us our spiritual growth is not just for our own benefit. We're all here to receive something this morning, but we also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also pour out love to others. Maybe even pass God's love along to one more person. We're in our second week of studying the book of the Bible called 1 John. Last week we took care of chapter 1, a little bit of chapter 2. Today we want to finish up chapter 2. And so we want to read together our passage for this morning. So, it's from 1 John chapter 2. Are you ready to read with me? You appear eager. Let's begin. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Amen. That was pretty good. A15 had a little more pep, uh, but that was pretty good. A15 serves. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Well, you picked a great day to come to church, not just to hear about uh, God's work in Daryl's life, but because the passage this morning talks about the Antichrist. (laughs) So where better to start a sermon on the Antichrist than with John 3.16, which says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is one of the best-known verses of the Bible. It's a verse that is often described as the summary of the Bible. That God the Father sent Jesus Christ into the world. That Jesus, fully God and fully human, lived a perfect life, willingly died an unjust death, and then triumphantly resurrected. 
to forgive our sins and shortcomings, and that by believing in Jesus, having faith in Jesus, trusting that Jesus has done all that's needed to reconcile us back to God, we can have life, abundant, everlasting life. I was once talking about this verse with a newer Christian, and her takeaway from it was this, oh, God loves the world. Yes, that, that's a somewhat obvious takeaway, but it's often an overlooked takeaway. Sometimes we get too much into the, the want to talk about the big theology of it, and we miss the most obvious thing, that God loves the world, that God loves you, and that God's love motivates Him to give. So we'll come back to this in a minute, that God loves the world. As I said, we're continuing our study of First John, and you should have received, or that you, or you can pick up, at the info table or in the lobby, what's called a soap journal. The soap journal is designed to help you read and study First John on your own during this series. So this series is not just what do the pastors think about First John, but what is God trying to teach me, show me through the writings of First John. So you pick it up. It explains how to use it. Most of the pages are blank, but you and I's job is to help with that and to fill in some words on these pages as we study 1 John together. Last week I tried to offer a summary of 1 John, and I said this. this my summary of 1 John was that John wants us to live according to the truth. John wants us to live according to the truth, and he means something very specific by that. He means that God is light, God is love, and God is life. So to John, God's character is central. You hear something similar in Daryl's story, that, that the moment that turned it for him was when someone clearly stated that, that God is not the author of evil. Yes, God has given freedom to his creation. Yes, we use that freedom to do horrible things to one another, but that does not mean that God is the author of evil. God is the one who redeems evil. In other words, God's character is what's central. God is light. He does what is right. He does what is good. God is love. He is loving to that that he has made, and God is life. God is vibrant. God is alive. So then John's point is, if you, as you and I see God clearly... We will become people of light, people of love, and people of life. So God is light, God is love, God is life. As you see God clearly, you will become a person of light, a person of love, a person of life. That's my quick summary of 1 John. And specifically, John means thinks it looks like this, that first you and I receive the eternal life, available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. That's like the primary reason he wrote the book. Receive the eternal life available to us through faith in Jesus Christ, and then as people who follow Jesus, walk in the light and love others well. As a follower of Jesus, do what is right, even when no one is looking, and love others well. Now, the tough thing about 1 John is that sometimes it can be a little confusing because John likes to do word plays and he likes to talk in riddles and puzzles. He likes to say two things that appear contradictory, but they're both true. This is what John does. If you want an example, let me offer one. The passage we read began this way. Do not love the world or anything in the world. So wait a minute, 
what happened to for God so loved the world? Am I supposed to love the world like God does, or am I supposed to not love the world? Now, if you were a conspiracy theorist, you could say, oh, it's two competing strains of Christianity vying for supremacy or whatever. The problem is, John wrote both of them down. John's the guy who recorded that Jesus said that God so loved the world. (laughs) And then later he wrote, do not love the world or anything in the world. What? This is what John loves to do. So am I supposed to love the world or am I not supposed to love the world? What do you think? Right? What does the scripture teach? John wants you to walk around thinking about this, struggling with this. He thinks you'll grow closer to God through the struggle. So am I supposed to love the world or not? Well, notice the, the verse says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Anything in the world. But when Jesus says that God so loves the world that whoever, whoever believes in him would have eternal life. So when Jesus says that God loves the world, he is referring to the people of the world, whoever. When John says do not love the world or anything in the world, he is referring to the things of the world. The next verse says that everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. John is talking about the things that our bodies desire, that our eyes wander after, that boost our egos. And John says he's in his later decades. He's writing this at the end of a long life. He says, you know those things don't last forever. Like power doesn't last forever. Money doesn't last forever. Sexual allure doesn't last forever. Don't build your life on what doesn't last forever. Don't fall in love with what doesn't last forever. Instead, build your life on what does last forever. Build your life on what lasts, which is God, which is a love for God, which is the the benefits that come from walking in God's ways. John is trying to get at this question. Do we love the things of the world or the people of the world? Do you love the things of the world or the people of the world? Do I love the things of the world or the people of the world? Do we love people and use things? Or do we use people and love things? Is power a tool that we could use or is it the goal of our lives? Is money a tool we could use or the goal of our lives? Are people expendable or are people invaluable? So are we supposed to love the world? Yes. And no. That's John for you. It can be so easy to love the things of the world without regard for the people of the world. And John is trying to call us back from that. This is an important thing for John because of what's just happened in the church family where John is, which is the city of Ephesus third largest city in the Roman Empire. What had happened was that some people from the church had left the church, had gone out from the church to start their own religion. They still used Christian words, but the core message was was very different. And John writes this about it. 
He writes, Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. All right, here's getting good. We're getting to the Antichrist part. There are a few places in the Bible that make reference to an Antichrist, some sort of a powerful figure who's going to show up at the end of the world and lead people away from Jesus Christ. Every few years, somebody picks a president or a pope that they do not like and says that that person is the Antichrist. Heretofore, they have all been wrong. John flips the whole thing on its head, and he says, sure, the Antichrist will arrive one day, but don't spend all your time worrying about the big, scary Antichrist. Just look around. There are Antichrists all around you. Now, you may be wondering, what in the world did those people do to John that he's calling them the Antichrist? Verse 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. So John's point is that he's calling them the Antichrist because they're denying that Jesus is the Christ. That's another way to say that Jesus is the Messiah. It's the same word. That that Jesus is the one who came from God to rescue us, to forgive our sins, and to reconcile us back to God. From history, we can pretty well reconstruct who these people were. They were a group of people who started to practice what is called docetism. D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. Docetism. Docetism in its souped-up version became Gnosticism. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. These are not going to be on the final. It's okay if you don't get them down. But docetism, docetism was the belief that Jesus was not fully human. They had no issue saying that he was fully God, but they did not believe he was fully human. They sort of believed in what you could call Jesus the friendly ghost. They did not believe that the love of God was so deep that God would stoop down to being human much less to die, much less to die as a criminal so that we could be reconciled to God. For the docetists, Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection was kind of like a magic show. It was an illusion, but it didn't really accomplish anything. Now, at the risk of having too long of a sermon, I want to make a little quick aside here. Sometimes you will hear it said that... uh, that Christians always knew that Jesus was human, and over centuries we made up that he was also God. So the problem with that little conspiracy theory is it does not square with history. Because the initial debate within the Christian family was, was Jesus fully human? Not was Jesus fully God. Within the lifetime of the original disciples, like John, one of the original disciples, the debate was being had, was Jesus fully human? Based on what they had seen in his life, they had no problem accepting that he was fully God. They were wondering if he was fully human. And so when you read the early Christian writings in the New Testament, for instance, they're really emphasizing, yes, he was fully human. And hundreds of years later, people read that and said, hmm, well, was he fully God then? So it was, that was a debate that took centuries to come along. 
I just say that to you to pass that along. <laughs> when you actually study these things, some of the conspiracy theories don't, don't stand up quite as well. All that to say, people leave the church, they start being docetists, and John says, fine, if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, you are the Antichrist. A little harsh. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. At some point, I kind of wonder if part of what John was doing with calling them the Antichrist is a play on words. Which is to say, if you take an antidepressant, you are fighting against depression. If you take an anti-inflammatory, it works against inflammation. So if you are an anti-Christ, what if John means you are fighting against Christ? You are working against Christ. Now compare that to the term Christian. Christian means in its most literal sense, belonging to Christ. Or belonging to the party of Christ. You would see the same grammatical construction to refer to servants and their masters or soldiers and their general. So belonging to Christ or belonging to the party of Christ. I sort of imagine eternity beginning with an announcement. Christ, party of five billion, your table is now available. Christ, party of five billion, your table is now available. But what John is teasing out here is the question, what are we going to do with Jesus Christ? Are we going to be Christian or anti-Christ? And again, don't think cape and horns. Think about the plain sense of the words. Are we fighting for Christ or against Christ? Do we belong to Jesus or don't we? Are we siding with Jesus or do we not side with Jesus? Are we primarily defined that we belong to Christ or are we primarily defined that we are working against Christ? Christ. Now, some folks would say, look, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm not pro-Jesus. I'm not anti-Jesus. I'm just on the fence. John's writing from the last decades of a long life. And so John's just sort of given us the wisdom that comes from that, which is to say, you know, the fence doesn't last forever. Like you don't want to walk into eternity neutral. And so John is asking, what's going to happen when the fence is gone? Whose side, what side will you and I be on when the fence is gone? His point is that it truly matters what we do with Jesus Christ. In fact, in verse 23, he says that to walk away from Jesus is to walk away from God, and to embrace Jesus is to embrace God. To belong to Jesus is to belong to God's family. What we do with Jesus determines how we relate to God. And so John finishes by telling us, As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us eternal life. Now I'll just wrap up by telling you what you already know. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes following Jesus is hard. 
Sometimes life would be easier if I just quit caring so much about what Jesus said and did things my own way. Sometimes life would be easier if I could love the things of the world more than the people of the world. But even in the hard times, John writes, remain in the sun. Stick with Jesus. Stay close with Jesus. Through Jesus, you are reconciled to God. And as part of God's family, you are a beneficiary of God's promise. And what is God's promise? Eternal life. Life forever in the presence of your Creator who loves you and offers to reconcile you to Himself through Jesus. John invites us to turn away from being anti-Christ or from sitting on the fence so that we might become Christian, so that we might become a person primarily defined by the fact that you belong to Christ. You belong to the party of Christ. Now Jesus takes it a step further and makes clear that eternal life is not just something you have to wait for. That eternal life is something that begins when we put our faith in Him. Jesus teaches in John 15, 5, I, Jesus, am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus invites us to remain in Him, to belong to Him, even in the tough times, especially in the tough times, to see the kind of life that Jesus empowers us to live. It's a fruitful life. It's a life of meaning. It's a life of purpose. It's a life where we make a difference in the lives of others. It's a life where we can love the people of the world more than the things of the world. And it's a life that continues on the other side of death when we see God face to face forever. Remaining in Jesus changes people. Belonging to Jesus changes people. It is changing me. I hope it's changing you. It changed John. It's changing Daryl. But it didn't happen magically all at once. It happened one step at a time. As God gave the strength to love in this moment, as God gave the strength to face this challenge, one step at a time. So here's my question as we conclude. Thinking of John's two contrasts, where do you see a need for God's work in your life? Thinking of John's two contrasts, where do you see a need for God to work in your life? The two contrasts were the people of the world versus the things of the world. Which do we love? The people of the world versus the things of the world. And then when it comes to Jesus, am I Christian or anti-Christ? Remember, no cape and horns, plain sense of the word. Am I primarily defined by the fact that I belong to Jesus? Not even how well I'm doing at that, but that I belong to Jesus. Let's pray together.
Lord, so often in life we look for the, the magic formula, the silver bullet, the, the thing that will fix us in one easy step. And I believe you offer us something very different, which is the strength to make the next step. So I pray in this quiet moment that we would just talk to you or listen to you and to ask you for what we need to take the next step. Just talk to God. I'm about to pray a prayer if it is consistent with what you long for in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. You may just silently pray some version of it along with me. To say, God, I desire to be a person who loves the people of the world more than the things of the world. Give me the strength to do that one interaction at a time. Lord, I desire to be known as someone who belongs to You first and foremost. So help me to leave behind desires to stay neutral or to fight against You. that I may join the work you're doing in my life and through my life. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.